Hey, I'm Fred. And I'm Ed. And this is Create a Generation. Create a Generation of Hype. All right, Freddie boy, what's happening this week? This week we're chatting with Bryony Benjamin. You can, no matter what's thrown your way, you don't even understand or comprehend yet what strength's inside you and you will rise to this challenge and you will get through it. Bryony has made a ton of viral videos, both in a brand sense and in a personal sense, and it is a very special interview. Hey, uh, before we get started, if you like this podcast that we've put together for you, please let us know on Apple Podcasts by leaving a review. We'd love to hear what you think about it. And Ant will personally hug everybody who gives us a five-star review, so that is his guarantee to you. socially distanced virtual hug. Exactly. Let's get into it. Let's get into it. We are joined here today with Bryony Benjamin. Bryony, welcome. Hello. Thanks for having me, guys. Nice to see my favorite duo. Finally, we've been trying to get you on the podcast for a little while. Bryony, before we sort of get into who you are, Bryony Benjamin, you know, we have this before and apparently I was revealing this for the first time for a bunch of people that we can't trust people with two first names. But there is a, an exception to the rule and your parents must have known it. Once you put an alliteration in there, it's okay. We can trust oh, you. Oof. Okay, good. And boy name, girl name, you know, so it's it's okay. So it's Oh, hey. no, that, that's not a get out of jail on that one. <laughs> um, so now that we've put everyone at ease, uh, maybe you could introduce yourself for us, please. Yeah, well, I'm Bryony Benjamin, or I go by Bryony B. Uh, I am a writer, a director, a producer, and I also act in a whole bunch of things as well, which sort of more happened by default, but yeah from producing content. So I make a heap of viral videos, uh, content for brands, for publishers, uh, and now for myself. I guess let's start. I mean, you, you, you do do a lot of things and you've uh, worn a lot of hats. Um, yeah, but like content, as a content creator, how did, how did you get into the realm of content creation? Yeah, well, I suppose, you know, I finished, finished school went on a gap year and then I thought I'd enroll in a commerce degree in finance, which is the logical path into content creation, obviously. <laughs> and uh, I finished that degree, enjoyed it, but I thought, oh, I really want to make content that reaches a lot of people and connects with people. Uh, when I was in my third year of my finance degree, I actually entered a little mobile movie making competition. And this is before smartphones. So this was like on a Nokia <laughs> 1010, like it barely had a video feature. But I made this little film um, in my town. The theme was my town. So I, I, I did this sort of love story between, you know, um, an Anzac soldier returning to his town and it's the ghost and he meets a modern-day girl. Anyway, all told in 60 seconds. And it actually went on to win the Telstra Mobile Movie Competition down in um, Sydney for the Sydney Film Festival. So they flew me down to Sydney and I'm sitting there in the State Theatre watching my tiny little film screened at the opening night of you know, the Sydney Film Festival with all of the, you know, Sydney filmmakers. And uh, I thought, wow, this is pretty cool. This is what I want to do. I want to make stuff. So um, when I finished my degree, I enrolled in a film and television degree at QUT and I went off to learn how to make films and make things that, you know, I had a lot of passion and a lot of love for environmental issues, for climate change, renewable energy, all these sort of things. And I wanted to make content that could get that message out to a bigger audience. So this sort of idea of creativity and content for change started to develop in what I was doing. Mm. And when I met you, I met you at VidCon, I think, for the first time. Um, by that point, you were working with uh, a different network, weren't you? 
Yeah, so um, my first sort of big job uh, that was like a dream job in Sydney was working at a production company that worked with all these different campaigning organisations, so Get Up, um, World Wildlife Fund, Greenpeace, all these like dream clients. So I got to make a heap of content for them and honed the skills of using comedy uh, to get an important message across. Um, then I basically got a documentary up at the ABC that was using a comedian, once again, using comedy, uh, to talk about the really serious issue of abusive relationships and domestic violence. So not really a light topic, but the ABC gave me a, a bunch of money and, and, and believed in the idea. So that was, that was a lot of fun. Um, yeah. And then off the back of that, I landed the job as the executive producer of video at Mamma Mia Women's Network. So for those people that haven't heard of it before, it's mamamia.com.au. It's the largest uh, network for women uh, in Australia, and it's the they've got the largest podcast network for women in the world. Uh, so it was a yeah, a really amazing um, feminist kind of brand. And I got the job. Mia Freeman, who's the founder, who's amazing. She basically said to me, "Your job is to make us famous for video." Um, so I was like, "Okay, easy. Ah, how do I do that? No idea." Um, and that's that's kind of yeah where I landed and and what the job you know asked for so I mean and we can talk a little bit more about that because um, we often have you know a lot of YouTube creators who create lots of different types of content obviously but we haven't talked to many who work in a more I guess in a more corporate sense um, especially in trying to develop video strategies to um, you know make videos go viral. Um, you know, get messages out there, all those different kind of things. So let's just, I want to talk about that quickly. Um, what, when you said you went in there, you said you really didn't know what you were doing. So how did, how did you go from there to having such a successful video strategy at Mamma Mia? Well, you know, I think it's like a lot of jobs, isn't it? Or roles. It's that imposter syndrome of thinking, oh my gosh, like this is so different. You know, whilst it was video and working with digital video that I loved, it was very different to anything that I had done before. So what I did is I was really fortunate to have an amazing team. So I had four video producers, including Claire Gerber, who went on to sort of be my creative partner. So we had this amazingly supportive environment and full full permission from the Mamma Mia, like executive and Mia and from the broader team to go, you guys just give it a go and do what you think's fun. So I basically came up with this idea that I would launch the idea of we're going to do pilot season, which is just a great way to basically be like this could not work and everything could be horrible but maybe it would be great and it sounds kind of sexy right it's pilot season and everyone gets excited so that was a, a good way to start I think so it was opening it up to play and experimentation and kind of being uh, like vulnerable to the fact that we don't know what's going to work we're going to you know create a whole bunch of stuff we're going to come up we're going to put all our energy and love and passion into it and we're going to see what sticks and then go with that so uh, basically, you know, where I start with a lot of my ideas is looking around at everything out there that's great. Why is it great? Why is it connecting with people? What's working about it, you know? And what are the bits that you like about what other creators, um, brands, media houses are doing that's really working really well? So I started there and then I thought, you know, I wanted to create a bit of a content filter for like, well, what are we going to make? Because it's limitless, right? You've got so many options of what you could do, what you could make and, if you're not clear about what you really want to make, you're just going to make crap, basically. So came up with this idea of creating a video content filter. So as a team, we sat down and we decided what were the kinds of things we wanted to make. So it was getting really clear on that. We wanted to make things that really added value to people's lives. We didn't want to just throw puffy 
crap that was kind of time wasting to them. So we created a criteria of, you know, does this entertain? Like, is it really funny? Or does it add um, value? Does it teach them something, inform or entertain? Uh, and then from that, we created more criteria that were, you know, does this actually make the world a better place for women and girls? Because you might come up with a great idea, but it's actually just really mean or it's kind of bitchy or it doesn't really do anything good for anyone. So we, we put that criteria in. And then from that, we came up with a whole bunch of series ideas. So we came up with about 10 different series ideas that we were going to try and pilot. Uh, and then from there, we got stuck into work and started making things. And six weeks into the job, we had our first video go viral, which was super exciting because up until that time, Mamma Mia hadn't had a viral video before. Uh, and we did this split screen video that I was actually in because we didn't couldn't afford actors. So all our producers just had to perform in things. Um, and it was a split screen of me on one side going about my day in high heels and on the other side in sneakers. And it just went ballistic and it got like 20 million views in a week. Uh, and that was the starting point. We were like, oh, people are connecting with this. There's something funny in this idea. Uh, and then from that, we would develop ideas off the things that were working and the things that weren't working. We we're like, oh, well, that was a fun experiment. Let's ditch that. 20 million views. That's pretty good. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And is that on Facebook? Uh, that was on Facebook. Yeah. Yeah, so uh, then we, we went on to do a similar one. We were like, oh, well, that format works. So we tried another one that was man flu. So it was like a man versus a woman going through a flu and the, the man's obviously nearly dying and can barely walk. I don't know if you guys have ever suffered from the man flu, but I hear it's quite a killer. Oh, it is. Very uh, real. It's very, very real. <laughs> <laughs> it's, uh, and I roped, roped my boyfriend at the time to be in it because he was really good at, um, you know, he didn't really have to act much. It was just like channeling what he was like with a cold. And uh, that one went on to get 50 million views. So we started to, um, yeah, have a lot of fun playing around. But but I think, you know, it really came back to going, well, why why is this connecting with people? What is it about this that's working? And we developed a bit of a formula in the end going, well, you know, before we start to make a piece of video content, we have to think, why would someone actually care about this? Would they share it? Why would they share it? Um, you know, would they tag a friend in it or send it to a friend? Um, and so once you get thinking about the psychology of why people actually share things, uh, you know, because people share either to be like, look, I found this cool thing first or, you know, this is really relatable or, oh, my gosh, this is so you and, and me and our friendship. You know, people use the content to connect with other people. Um, so if you can think of it from that perspective first, we found that really helpful when vetting good ideas from bad ideas. Hey, Brian, to take that a, a step further, yeah, like connecting with the audience and it's going to be something that they're going to engage with and love, how do you then put in the companies or the brands or the purpose in there as well? Yeah, well, it was, I mean, I think, so there were really two types of content, right? There was the branded content. Uh, and then there was the more editorial content that didn't wasn't brand funded necessarily um, and we could just make and play. And so normally what we would do is we would make and play thing, uh, with things from an editorial sense and then the things that worked really well we could transport into a brand environment because, you know, we had a prudent, uh, sorry, approved and tried piece of content then that we knew resonated. But, yeah, I think coming back to that content filter, Ant, it's like, you know, what do you want to say? Like, what what is the purpose of this before you begin? Um, so I think when it's about what you want to say or having a, you know, I think 
brands, organizations, individuals, we get so passionate about what it is we want to say and that it's really important. You know, if it's if it's wanting to let people know about palm oil, it's like it's such an important thing. We need people to really care about this because it's bad and people, if they just know, then they'll care and they'll sign our petition and give money and whatever. But you've actually got to flip that, right, and start with why would someone care about this? What? Why is an audience member going to connect with this rather than what's the really important thing we need to say? Mm-hmm. Um, and and I think that's what I often see when content goes wrong. That's what's what's gone astray. It's like, well, we just need to let everyone know all the facts of the matter. It's like, well, that doesn't connect with people. So, um, like a few years ago, I made this this viral piece of content that was about palm oil, um, and it was around the time of the. I don't know. Do you remember that Doritos competition that they used to run? Mm-hmm. It was like crash the Super Bowl. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So we piggybacked off that. So we crashed the crash the Super Bowl competition <laughs> by uh, we created a Doritos ad that just looked like this awesome love story of this couple meeting over a you know picking up a Dorito in the in store, and uh, then it l- went on this like long love story, um, and so people were drawn in straight away because they're like this is really cute and what are these two doing and what's happening, um, and then the twist at the end was. Uh, they they get to this destination that's like the Doritos rainforest on this amazing honeymoon and there's no rainforest because Doritos are actually owned by PepsiCo who are the biggest purchasers of palm oil in the planet. So, you know, we had a, a message that we really wanted to get across but if we just started with the orangutans are dying and, you know, the forests are being cut down, people would have tuned out straight away. So it was like how can you how can you use storytelling to bring people along on a journey and then share the message with them, you know? Um, yeah. I mean, branded's a bit different. Do you want me to go into that, Ant, or? Yeah, let's go wherever. Yeah, let's yeah. Because yeah. like, well, I, I think. It's similar yeah. sort of territory, right? Like the brand totally. has got a message they want to get across yeah. um, and make people do something. Totally right. And I think it's the same thing as like with a campaign or something you're really passionate about. You've got to get over yourself. Like so often, you know, I think brands all, we've got to let people know the 25 great things about this product. It's like, no one cares about that. They don't, they don't care that it's got all these features and things like what's the problem that you are solving for that person that's going to make their life better? Um, how can you add value to an audience? You know, so we, we made a bunch of, actually, it was a really fun campaign we got to do with Celeste Barber when we were working with a brand, like a chip brand. And rather than it being all about the chips, we just made some really great branded content that was all about parenting and how, you know, different hacks that parents can can use. And the brand was put in around that. So, I mean, I always think it's best when it's not overt because more and more, you know, as you guys know, people are tuning out. They're just bored of ads. They don't want to be have things rammed at them anymore Mm. um so it's like how can you be how can you still add value to your audience be it entertaining them or giving them some really interesting information because most brands you know they know stuff that would be interesting to the average person Uh, so it's about digging into that and going what's the really interesting content that surrounds our product or or brand rather than you know we've got to bash them over the head with these these things hey um when it, when it comes to, I guess, uh, brands, a lot of them are very obsessed with this idea of virality. Like, you know, oh, I really want a video to go viral. Um, what do you think of virality versus audience building? You know, something which, more, which with a longer term prospects rather than let's just get the most views possible. Yeah. Well, I mean, viral is not the be all and end all, right? It's nice. It's fun. It makes you feel good. There's nothing more exciting than watching a, a video just like going ballistic on the internet. 
Uh, but, you know, it's about having, I suppose, tiers of content. So I always think of it that you've got your, your viral pieces are for your reach and to grab as many people as you can. And, you know, looking at like that hero hub hygiene model. So you have your hero piece that might be your viral piece or you, you put your most money and resources and time into it. Then you have your content that's about people getting to know a bit more about the brand or the organization. So it might be more like, you know, Q&As and, um, you know, more interesting uh, pieces of content that might be around um, different product features or something like that. And then you've got your, you know, your hygiene content, which is your always on um, nurture content that's really trying to convert people that last step. So I think it's like, it's not one or the other, you need a mix of it in your content ecosystem. Uh, and, and, you know, I think whether you're a, a brand um, or if you're an individual creator, you should be thinking about that as well. You know, whether you're a TikToker, um, if you're a TikToker, for example, you might want pieces that are viral that are just going to get out there and bring people in. But once they get there, they've got to be able to connect with you and and learn more about you. So then you might have, you know, a series of um, of TikToks that are all just about you and your day-to-day life. Um, and then you might have a bunch that are being used really to push people to your Instagram or your YouTube. So it's just about thinking, once again, always starting with what's the purpose of this piece of content? Um, and, and I think also like, yeah, something can go viral, but if it's not targeting the people that you really need to speak to or people that are going to be right for your audience, you know, particularly in the case of something like TikTok, it can actually do more harm than good, right? Mm. Because you can end up with a hundred thousand followers that are completely unrelated, like not interested in what you do otherwise. And then it's going to impact your, your reach going, going on. So, yeah. So Obviously, you made you know you a whole range of viral videos. You sort of cracked that method um, of sort of what makes a difference to an audience and how to build on that. Um, what came next for you? Yeah. So, uh, what came next? Well, basically, a bit of a, a bit of a life surprise that I wasn't expecting. So, I was working at Mamma Mia. I'd been there for about a year, mm-hmm. and uh, I was just feeling really crappy all the time. Actually, um, I was going to a doctor who kept telling me it must be stress and you know, just to meditate a bit more and chill out. And no matter what I did, I just could not um, get on top of just feeling awful all the time and getting really crook. Anyway, so, yeah, a year into my job at Mamma Mia, I found out that I actually had cancer. So I was diagnosed with Hodgkin's lymphoma, so cancer of the lymphatic system. And, uh, yeah, that was certainly the biggest shock of my life uh, to that point um, and, a, and a massive shock to everyone around me as well. Um, yeah, it's just not the news you ever really expect to get at 31. Mm. So um, a bunch of my gorgeous friends, they uh, pulled together and got me a bunch of filming equipment to go with my iPhone. So they got me like a little gimbal, um, Osmo um, and a road mic and uh, a bunch of other little things like that, a little light. Um, and they were like, maybe you might want to start, you know, documenting the journey and, and filming it as you go. Um, which was a very different kind of uh, documentary filmmaking for me because, of course, other people had only ever been the subjects when I was creating documentaries in the past. Um, I was pretty sick. I had stage four Hodgkin's lymphoma by that point, Uh, and so I didn't really know what was going to happen, so I just got it out and started filming the process. Um, Yeah. I couldn't even imagine what that would be like. Um, How do How do you find like the motivation to keep creating when you're given that kind of news? 
Yeah, it's a really good question. I think that for me it was actually really therapeutic and it was quite comforting to, you know, essentially keep a video log of everything that was happening. So I, I journaled a lot during the process but I also video logged a lot because it was really nice just to kind of dump everything that I was thinking out of my head and get it onto camera. Um, also, I know this sounds really grim, but I thought, well, if I didn't survive, I kind of, you know, would be nice for my family to maybe have some components of this um, or to share thoughts with them, um, you know, and maybe it could live on beyond me. Luckily, that wasn't the case and I'm incredibly lucky to, you know, have documented the whole journey through into remission and out the other side of this whole thing. But yeah, like, look, definitely it wasn't necessarily like an everyday thing. And I did need to be encouraged here and there to do it because there are obviously just days you have that it is awful and you don't want to record it or you feel so down or, you know, I think a, a big thing for me to overcome was actually just, you know, I always like having makeup on and looking kind of nice. And I'm, you know, proud of, you know, taking time to care about those sort of things. And when you go through chemo, you just strip back to nothing. You know, you've got no hair, you've got no eyebrows, no eyelashes, like everything that had once helped define your look and your identity is kind of stripped back. So getting comfortable with, you know, I thought, well, I'm just going to record it. I don't need to put it out necessarily or do anything with it down the track, but I'm just going to record it as I go. Um, but it was interesting, a few weeks after I lost my hair, uh, I remember doing a video log one day and sort of saying, I don't know what's changed or happened, but I'm, because when you first shave your hair off, right, you're, it's pretty freaky when you look in the mirror. Like I felt very unnerved by it because you don't recognize who's looking back at you. It's just such a foreign image. Uh, and a few weeks into it, I remember doing a video log and thinking, oh, I'm actually so at peace with what I look like right now. This is me, you know, and this is me stripped back to my most pure version you know this is like baby briny I'm back at you know because I literally as a kid I had the blondest hair I had no eyebrows mum mm -hmm. actually like drew my eyebrows on when I was a little baby once as a joke because she's like there's nothing there it's all forehead um so yeah but it was funny and, I, and I'm so yeah when I look back on it I am really proud that I persevered and documented like you know the most vulnerable kind of time ever in my life and a time that I didn't like how I looked at all but when I look back on it, it's funny. I just see it as it was just a, me during that chapter, you know. It was just because mm. people said to me when I put the video out. Um, so basically I put all the footage together into a video. It was three minutes. Claire, my creative partner, edited it into this gorgeous little short film that's three minutes long called You Only Get One Life. And we put it out into the world and it went viral and got picked up by a few news outlets and things, which was awesome because it helped me spread the word of lymphoma. But, you know, a lot of people said to me, oh, you're so brave. You're so brave putting that footage of yourself out there into the world. And it's funny that because I just didn't really see it as brave. To me it was just, well, that's what it was and that's who I was at that time and that's what it looked like. And I, weirdly when I was at Mamma Mia and I was, you know, acting and starring in all these viral videos and I was really conscious of always how I looked and, you know, oh, I've got to fix my makeup up, fix my hair, and yet going through that process, it just made me care a lot less about all those things. I was like, that's me. That's how I look. That's life. No. Well, in terms of people saying you're brave to share that, I mean, typically I don't share that much about, about myself, like not even a, probably a photo of my bicycle, right? Um, it's out my window. So I'm looking at it. Um, <laughs> but you know, what like, is it? Out of interest, uh, oh, it's like a, 
like a grey brown. Okay, cool, cool, cool. Yeah, yeah. I feel like I know you better now. Yeah? This is good. Yeah, you know, there you go. It's got two kids seats strapped to it at the moment. Um, it doesn't get ridden very much at the moment. It's looking very neglected. But um, for some, you know, for someone like, who said that, he, they, don't get, if, they don't get to know you very much, you spent like 10 minutes describing your bicycle out the way. Oh, I know, but that was just for Brian because <laughs> we're not like that. But, you know, like that, and that's, but that's such a, a nothing, right? Like that, <laughs> whatever. It's parked at the bloody front of my house. Anyone who walks past can see it. Um, it's chained up, so don't come and try and steal it. Um, but, you know, then to share yourself at, at your most vulnerable, which is more vulnerable than, you know, most, a lot of people fortunately are in, are in their lives, that, I don't know, I, I think that is in, incredibly brave um, to share it publicly, like outside the safety and the support of that close network of friends that sort of initially gave you, gave you the gear to keep you going and, and get you creating. Um, oh, but, thanks, Dan. Yeah, sorry, you go. No, no, but I, I also then think it's like for for like a lot of people who listen are, are like that that creator, like you know, uh, identify as a a personal creator, like an individual creator, and you know, looking through this lens as you creating in, and sharing your story, um, like how do people like how do you decide what to put out in the public sphere and, and to make yourself vulnerable? Really no. I mean, yeah, it's a great question and it definitely is a consideration and, you know, there's a lot that I don't share. Um, whilst that might, might seem like, you know, everything's out on the table and, you know, for me, once again, it came back to I wanted to share my story to help other people. So to that end, I suppose I wanted to, I wanted the video to feel hopeful and uplifting. I didn't want it to make people sad. I didn't want it, you know, even though a lot of people found it really emotional watching it, but they came out of it feeling uplifted. And the response I've had from this video, it's, it would be the most, you know, proud I am of anything I've ever made in terms of the responses I got back from people. You know, it comes back to what we were talking about earlier. Why would someone care? Why would they share? Would they tag? Would they comment? I've had people reach out and say things like, um, you know, they've made amends with a family member that they haven't spoken to for years because they saw the video and it just reminded them, like, what actually matters in life. I've had uh, friends quit their jobs <laughs> that, um, you know, have then decided to travel pre-COVID um, uh, and, you know, uh, take take a, a leap or take a risk in something that they hadn't done before. And then, you know, really, I suppose most importantly to me, I had so many survivors and people going through it right now that said to me, thank you so, so much for making that video because it allowed me to share it with my friends and family and it perfectly articulated my experience. And I feel for the first time ever, my friends and family actually understand what I went through. And that for me was like, oh, just the most amazing feeling because, you know, it is hard to... You know, even for me in my life, I, I moved back to Queensland during chemo and treatment and then a year later I, I came back to Sydney, you know, and I'm there and my friends are like trying to comprehend what I've been through. But how can you explain the depths of an experience like that, you know, in a five-minute conversation? You just can't. So it was, for me, it was really therapeutic to put it together, to kind of share it with the world, to go, this is what it's like and you can, no matter what's thrown your way, you know, you you don't even understand or comprehend yet what strengths inside you and you will rise to this challenge and you will get through it. And to hear so many people that were in chemotherapy right now reach out and just say this is this is the kick that I needed today to just to keep fighting and keep fighting with positivity, you know, that that was awesome. 
uh, must have been something uh, like very transform. I mean, I mean, the, obviously the process is very transformative, but seeing how things go from, I guess, from a you know corporate sense of creating something that's meaningful, and then for, to a really personal sense, creating something that's very meaningful must have been something else. Yeah, it was, you know, and I think to put something out into the world that makes people feel less alone and and to feel seen and heard, that was sort of what I actually hadn't anticipated. You know, how, as I said to you, I always think about what's the audience going to think and feel. I hadn't actually anticipated that people would feel like their story had been articulated, you know, and people said to me, I feel like word for word, that's exactly what I felt every step of the way and it you know, I could then share that. That that's something I hadn't anticipated, and it was just such an awesome feeling. Mm. And after obviously going through that major life event, what 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 happened next? Yeah, so um, I went I went back to Mamma Mia part time. They were just so incredible throughout the whole experience. You know, I think there's something about a, 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 an organization that's filled with a hundred women. They were just so thoughtful. They would send me like care packages and massage vouchers and little beauty packs all the time. And they really were wonderful to say, come back when you want in whatever capacity you want, but also take as much time as you need, but we'd love you back tomorrow. But there's no pressure, if you know what I mean? So I, I never felt like, oh, I've got to get back to work or I might lose my job, which was a really fortunate position to be in because I know not everyone experiences that. Mm. Um, and I'll be forever grateful to them for that. Uh, so I went back part-time and I think, you know, I had a lot of time obviously to think while I was off and, and really get crystal clear on the kinds of content I wanted to make. And whilst I'd already been pretty purpose-led in the content I wanted to make and, and always wanted to say something at the core of it, um, it really had crystallised after this experience. And so I came back bursting with ideas. And I think the biggest shift was I was confident enough to also say to my the people I was working with at Mamma Mia, less is more, you know, let's pull back and let's just put our energies and effort into a few really high-quality pieces. Um, that resulted in two of the most viral pieces that we'd made for Mamma Mia or one of the most viral um, but certainly the most impactful and we made a video for International Women's Day that was called If a Man Lived Like a Woman for a Day. <laughs> so... Um, and also while I'd been away, I'd read this amazing book called New Power, which I highly recommend. Um, and it's all about how power is changing and shifting in the world. And it looked at a few different media companies that have really harnessed new power and what, what that means to do that. Um, and there was this amazing example to me of a publication in the Netherlands that had crowdfunded itself. It was like the biggest ever crowdfunding um success story in media history they raised millions and they launched this new company with the idea that we will never write an article before we have first gone out to the audience and we've gotten their thoughts and their feelings because we don't actually see our audience as an audience mm. of just randoms we see them as a gold mine of ideas and experiences and stories and knowledge so I think that was the big shift for me. You know, even though I was working in digital media, I was still kind of maybe had a bit of a broadcast mindset on. And this is what, you know, so many of the creators that you guys work with are so expert at is, is connecting and tapping with their audience and using that to drive ideas and content, you know, in that relationship. So I actually went out to the Mamma Mia audience and I said, what are the things that you guys experience every single day that men might not know about? you know, and I got hundreds of responses back of 
just horrendous things that women experience every single day. And when I litmus tested it against a few of the men in my life, they had no comprehension, you know, things like feeling really uncomfortable at work and being cracked onto by a boss or feeling that they couldn't work in a workplace anymore because of that. Simple things like walking home to their car at night with their keys clutched between their hands. And so I thought, okay, we've got all these great ideas, but what if now we flip it and we have a man experience all those things for a day? Um, and because perhaps then men might comprehend it or understand it better if they can see it through their own viewpoint rather than us just telling them it happens. Um, that, that video since has done 40 million views. It was the viral video in the world on International Women's Day travel all around the world and then it went on to win the best use of video at the Mumbrella Awards um, last year. So that that was awesome and I think, you know, sometimes when we're working in digital media, it's all like go, go, go and, and quick and how much content can you get out and fast, fast, fast but there's really a lot to be said for actually slowing down and really thinking thoughtfully about what you want to create and put out into the world and so that was probably one of the biggest shifts for me in my approach to content making after that whole experience. That's a great insight. Like spend a lot of time talking to creators big and small and you, you see it across brands and media companies as well as like the feeling that they need to feed the beast. Um, I didn't have a good idea for a video, but I have to make one. Totally right. And I think we're moving more towards that model in that you can actually do damage to your brand and you can do damage to if you're whether you are an influencer or a brand, if you're putting out a bulk lot of crap all the time, people just tune out to you. They're like, uh, it's never interesting. They don't have anything valuable to add. Um, so I think, yeah, ultimately you damage your audience and your brand. And yeah, and, and I think too, as I said, something creators do so well is that is engaging their audience and bringing them along because people really want to be involved. You know, it's like, you know, when you um, just request sometimes out on uh, Facebook, you might be like, what podcast are you listening to now? And like, you feel like every one of your podcast, every one of your Facebook friends that you haven't heard from in a hundred years comes out of the woodwork and wants to give you a recommendation. Like people love, there's a, they, in New Power, they call it the participation premium. You know, you don't need to pay people. They, they want to actively be involved. And, of course, you can't then fleece that and just be like milking people and it's got to be two-way. So there's got to be benefit for it in the audience as well. But maybe it's, you know, cultivating your super fans to help you generate ideas, but then they get first access to things or they get a, a look at the first edit of it or, you know, like what, how can you make that work two-way rather mm. than thinking about it just like taking stuff away. Do you know what's uncanny though? Bryony, when you reach out to all your friends on Facebook for podcast recommendations, they only come back with creator generation. I think that's just like. I mean, that's it, what it, I find like, all the brilliant. time. Um, <laughs> well, like, you know, you, you know. guys are a big deal. Like, uh, you know. <laughs> we are. Yes. Killing it. We are. Actually, we, we reached, what did we reach? Number one in. Bulgaria. 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 Wow. <laughs> really? in Bulgaria. Oh, I goodness love my me. Bulgarian audience. You guys yeah. are the best. Briefly, well, for briefly in, in the film and TV charts, we were number one. I don't know how, but we were. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe you guys will have to do an, uh, an interview with one of your massive Bulgarian fans one day. You Maybe. know, get <laughs> content there. <Maybe>. But actually, <laughs> actually yeah, look, Brian, we've actually run out of time. Uh, unfortunately, ah. because there's so many interesting things to, to talk about, and we wanted, I wanted to ask you more, but we have run out of time. So, um, I obviously 
thank you so much for sharing such an uh, your amazing story. Um, but you know, we, uh, there's so much of it that is so inspirational and so informative. But is there any key thing you want to tell the audience, or one tip, or a bit of wisdom you want to share? Yeah, I mean, for me, it would be get really clear on what you want to say and what you want your legacy to be with the content you create. You know, and if you can reach people, I think you have a res- if you have a following, if you can reach and connect with people, you have a responsibility to be thoughtful about what you're putting out into the world. Mm. Um, and, and the only other thing I would say is, as most creators are really excellent at, but think about where really, really visualize that audience member and where they're going to be when they watch your content and what device they're going to be watching it on and design it for that, you know, um, because mobile first content is a completely different thing to the old world of making things. Um, and so I like to really think about, you know, your audience, not just as this homogenous blob of people that you're throwing things out, but they're individuals, you know, they're human beings and they want to connect and they want to feel understood and, and less alone, you know. And I think if you can make content that then connects with people for that, um, yeah, you can change the world. Great advice. <laughs> Brady, thank you so much for joining us. Um, hopefully we'll see Thanks you for in, having in me. the future. Oh. Can't wait to see you in person one day again. Yeah. One day. <laughs> hopefully at VidCon soon, hey? Yeah. Oh, we can only hope. Thanks, Brian. Thanks, guys. Lovely chatting. We the generation. We're on the mic.